0: Writing the Rapids is brought to you by Patreon.com slash WTR. Become a patron, get episodes earlier, get bonus episodes, and for enough money, decide the direction of the show. Patreon.com slash WTR. (music) Hello everyone and welcome to Writing the Rapids, the show by writers... For writers, this episode we have Dean Swinford, who writes the Death Metal Epic series of books out on Autolotl Press right now. I have links in the show notes. We talk a lot about death metal, metal subgenres, coming-of-age stories, and more. So without further ado, let's get to that right now. So, Dean... I think the first thing that we need to discuss is the sort of obligatory coming-of-age book question, which is how autobiographical is death metal epic?
1: Right, okay. (laughs) So that's sort of a a question that I get a lot. Um, It is a coming of age story, but it it also is a novel. Uh, And in that sense, you know, most of it is fictional. Um, If there are any points of overlap, I guess, between myself and David Fosberg, the narrator. uh, I am from Miami. Um, I (laughs) have long been interested in metal and death metal. Um, But, you know, beyond that, I guess where I was kind of thinking was um, wanting to write a story that uh, just sort of explored that genre that I've always been really interested in uh, and and doing it in a way, you know, from the perspective of, of a character within that scene, which I know a lot about. Um, but also in a way that kind of deals with a lot of these more universal issues uh, related to, you know, to somebody growing up. Um, You know, as far as characters go, uh, there are like real people that they're sort of based on uh, to an extent. uh, But like any writer, you know, with your characters, you're kind of uh, working from a variety of um, of traits that, you know, that you're trying to put together in, in some way. So, you know, uh, like, uh, like, I have a friend who is similar to the bard. And as uh, a character one, we at one point did sort of have a group kind of like a tabasus, but nothing really happened with it. And so that's kind of like a, a, a difference, I guess, but sort of a place of exploring within the books, you know, like, like, where could that have gone? And, and then how does that you know, I guess as far as the travel too, because the both books deal a lot with travel. Um, I lived in Belgium, uh, in Ghent. Uh, I was a Fulbrighter when I was working on my dissertation, my PhD, uh, and so a lot of the stuff about Ghent and Belgium, especially in the second book, kind of comes from my experience there. Um, you know, like the the music store in the second book, the the record house. Mm-hmm. Uh, is loosely based on a record store i went to in uh where was i in bergen in norway i went on a on a trip there a long time ago and i just thought it was funny because um it was like when the first uh couple gorgoroth albums were coming out and they were super uh, small band at that point and for some reason this band this record shop just had like tons of material from that particular band and hand screen shirts and stuff and I always thought that was funny uh, and then I guess to kind of loosely based on um, uh, the record store that I went to a lot in Miami growing up yesterday and today records um, and my friend ran the, the metal section there and you know, it was very kind of like on the placards that listed, you know, what what you should listen to and what you should not listen to. So I thought. So anyway, it's sort of a composite of just, you know, like um, all of these things that have been percolating in my brain as far as just uh, music and the, the effect that it has. And I guess, too, you know, I, I mean. I'm a medievalist. That's my main research interest. And I've always been interested in um, myth uh, and really the ways, too, that the Middle Ages continue to exist in the present. You know, the idea of medievalism. And I have always just seen a natural parallel between that and literature and other art forms and metal. And so I wanted a place where I could um, also explore that but in fiction, as opposed to scholarship.
0: Sure, that makes sense. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, where do you think you're probably the best person I've ever been able to ask about it. Where do you think the connection between metal music and medievalism comes from? It makes sense to me as far as like black metal goes, but right. metal as a whole and pre-black metal.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and, and this is kind of the flip side, I guess, of, of some of the stuff that, that I've been doing. Um, so I've published a couple essays recently on medievalism, specifically in metal. Like I'm, I'm working on a um, an essay for a collection that just deals specifically with metal and medievalism. And then I had another essay that came out in a journal called Studies in Medievalism that looks that's kind of like the main scholarly place for looking at this issue of medievalism and contemporary society. I mean, I guess, you know, some people would say that really what metal's doing is no different than what 19th century Romanticism did, where Romanticism kind of recreates this idea of what the Middle Ages is in some sort of glamorous way. And that, too, that that's just kind of responding to an idea of of historical consciousness that um, doesn't really exist until, you know, all of these academic disciplines that start to actually become um, tangible in the 19th century. Um, And I guess, yeah, I think as far as subgenres go, you know, black metal would probably have the most um, upfront direct connection to the Middle Ages. Like in, in one of the essays that I wrote, um, I wrote about corpse paint in black metal. So the makeup and everything mm-hmm. and how, uh, the initial vocalist of mayhem dead, you know, he, his, there are a bunch of interviews, uh, with, and some of in zines from, you know, like when they were first getting started where he talks about it, uh, as, you know, being this attempt to kind of like. Bring on the ghost of a plague victim, you know? So what he's trying to look like specifically as a, as a victim of the Black Death. And, um, and how, you know, now at this point, I think corpse paint has become really stylized, like it's sort of a cool thing. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say now. I think now at this point, it's probably just passé or it's just another uh, motif that, that an artist uses to signify where they are generically. Um, but you know, when he first started, he would draw things like snot dripping out of his nose and boils and all of this sort of stuff to really create this sense of the, the decayed body. And, um, and in my essay, I talk about that in terms of the poetic trope, um, of Prosopopeia, which is a kind of like, um, giving voice to the dead, uh, and that, that trope, um, and also of apostrophe, of speaking to the dead. What's interesting is if you look at a lot of the lyrics on the um, Mayhem album, The Mysterious Tom Santanas, the one that that's like their big album, and that he wrote most of the lyrics before he died, um, they, the lyrics themselves use that same trope of speaking to or through the dead. And so I thought that was interesting that, that what's going on poetically um, within the lyrics is very similar to what's going on performatively um, showing that you know it's not just like something done for shock value um, but that there's actually you know something interesting going on as far as that connection between the 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 text and the um, the representation.
0: Okay that that makes sense. Um, I, I have to admit that my, my knowledge of the sort of why behind metal is really limited. I, yeah. I, I find myself being uh, drawn to and interested in particular figures rather than sort of the the thing as a whole. So I know, you know, more about Burzum than probably any other black metal band of that time, simply because Varg uh, yeah. is such a strange man. Yeah. Um, right. And and the fact that he was drawn more to, to paganism rather than Satanism as a reaction to Christianity, which I found interesting.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's interesting too, is, you know, here, like, um, you know, looking at, at that story of black metal or contemporary metal and what it is and, and how it's become sort of mythologized with these characters, uh, And how to, you know, these different narratives have sort of shifted as far as where does the music come from. To me, that's pretty interesting because, I mean, like I like as I was growing up, like my friends who I mentioned, who who ran this uh, record shop, had the metal section there. Like he was uh, he knew a lot of the people from the Florida death metal scene. So he was like in the studio when Def recorded Human, which is one of their big albums. And he knew the dudes in Cynic and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, so he was able to get a lot of those albums when they first came out. And so I was able to, to get a lot of them when they first came out, too. And there's just something about that that story that that at the time, you know, you don't really know where it's going. It's just kind of like, here's the thing. It's really interesting. Uh, here are all of these different directions it can go even as far as the sound. But what's weird is like even now, how the, even the idea of what, you know, black metal is supposed to sound like. People have this idea, it's fast, it has high-pitched vocals, all of these things. But at the time, there are all of these other bands that are giving different potential sounds for the music, you know? So if you think of, like, the bands in the Greek scene, like Verathron or um, the Swiss band Samael or Masters Hammer, like all of these other more obscure bands, they were all also doing stuff that at the time we think of as you know as black metal but the sound itself was different so it's kind of interesting how like now 20 something years on you know there's this this narrative of what it was and then for me, I always find that that contrast with as somebody who was really interested in it at that time, it's like, that's not, that's not the only thing it could have been, you know, like, or, or, or you know, it, it could have taken all of these other shapes and it still does, I guess, in different ways, but just in the popular imagination.
0: For sure. I, I find the same thing sort of with, with hip hop and rap music too, that yeah, there, definitely. there's very much that this is what it was this is what it is this is what it's becoming and what do we do to stop that or or uh you know change directions
1: yeah i i also grew up skateboarding and uh and i still skate and and that's the thing that's really weird too is you have this idea of like this is what the narrative was like this is what the rules were And then now, like in skateboarding, too, there's sort of a a revisionist thing. Like, um, you know, there are some pros who self-consciously their thing is kind of wearing these vintage clothes from the 90s. (laughs) and, And at the same time, a lot of the tricks that are in right now are tricks that at that time were not cool tricks to do so it's kind of interesting how that shifts as well you know uh yeah and so i guess just seeing that just seeing that well here's this narrative and this seemed to be everybody agreed that these were the rules and now all of a sudden those those rules aren't the rules or they were forgotten or they don't matter and um I don't really know if there's a point to that, it's just, you know, it just makes you wonder about that, I guess, in terms of of anything, really, you know, I mean, I guess to get back to the idea of medievalism, this idea of, of, well, well, what does it mean for something to claim some kind of historical authenticity, you know, I mean, because it's always already going to be, um, changed in some way so it's weird to see it in these in these kind of like pop culture things when this is something that people talk about you know in broader historical terms
0: for sure i i don't know if i see that in writing all that much you know i started after i finished reading your books i started reading um some old victorian ghost ghost stories that i got a collection of it like goodwill or something yeah, And just noticing the way that sentences are constructed and how stories start off with some narrator that's, like, not there. He's just like, hey, I found these journals. I'm going to present them to you. Yeah. Here you go. It's not something I see in contemporary horror writing really at all. And it almost doesn't seem like anybody misses it. So I guess that's something that's I'm just now considering. That I
1: find oh, sure. strange. Although, I mean, you know, I guess the way that um that something like that might circulate, you know, like uh for example, So Gone Girl, right? Like huge book, what's great about it is this idea of the unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Uh and the idea of an unreliable narrator is nothing new. But now in the wake of that book. I mean, there have been, you know, four or five other books. I think there's the other one, the, the Good Girl or something like that, is kind of like playing to that same market and also using that idea of the, um, the unreliable narrator. And so here's this thing that's been around for a long time, but all of a sudden it becomes coded as new and mysterious and, and the, the way to, um, to capture an audience.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. Um, the other thing that I find, uh, interesting about metal that I think you captured perfectly in, in, uh, the goat song sacrifice was where David is, is seeing, um, Nordicron and Necrocor trying to buy beer and like in (laughs) costume and everyone's just kind of making fun of them. And there's, there's something sort of, like sad about the the juvenileness of dedicating your life to metal that going back to hip hop, I don't see you know, I can see a forty year old dude who who still loves a tribe called quest or or n w a and I don't feel as bad as I do for you know a fifty year old man wearing a cape to the corner store,
1: yeah, sure, uh, although that's you know, I mean. In terms of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about that. I mean, I, I guess on one hand, um, that's one thing that I try to do in the books is that, you know, I, and really the first book kind of starts like, why, why do I like metal? You know, and, and here's this interesting, here's this question like for me that, that I wonder about. Uh, but I think you could replace that with any kind of pop cultural uh, subject. And and even though, even if you were to look at something that, you um, maybe mainstream society would say is silly, there's still countless other things that are equally silly that are maybe not viewed that way. You know, like, why does someone care about a Netflix show? Or why does someone care about superhero movies? Or or anything else that mainstream society might say, this is good, you should watch this, or you should participate this. Uh, You know, you should be part of this. Um, These other things seem... You know, that as if there's something wrong <laughs> with them in some way. But I, I think, too, though, there's this issue of um, of uh, praising what is eccentric. Like, you know, uh, it's, it's OK for someone to be eccentric. I mean, if somebody if somebody wants to wear a cape, it is vaguely ridiculous. On the other hand, why is it that that is ridiculous? But something else uh you know um i don't know like having wearing a particular brand or you know a grown-up person spending three hundred dollars on dress shoes why is it that that's okay and the other one's ridiculous you know um but yeah i try to aim for kind of a mix of i'm i'm interested in exploring using metal as sort of a vehicle to explore these kinds of uh um uh things that that obsess and I guess kind of like, um, drive the imagination. Uh, and on the other hand, I kind of want to, you know, uh, not be too serious about it and, uh, you know, like make it humorous when, when possible.
0: Yeah. There, there's a, there's an element of, of on, on guard that I was while reading your books based on the sort of, uh, well, based on it coming out of Adel-Adel- uh, which is tied to Grindhouse and oh, yeah. <laughs> the the sort of bizarro adjacent nature of the books that come out. So, Oh, there's, there's a lot of, I'd say it's primary, primarily reality based, but every once in a while when, you know, someone gets a, a bug tied to a makeshift crucifix fix in the mail, I start to wonder um, just like how much mysticism, uh, or mystical happenings are are in these stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't. That's true. That like the books are on uh, Adaladol, and and there's all of this. Yeah, you, you and bizarre. It's true. Bizarro books. <laughs> my book is not. My books are not Bizarro books. Uh, they're pretty straightforward uh, narratives. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I mean they're kind of. Um, dealing with these kind of mystical or half-submerged ideas. But, and I guess that makes me sort of a weird bird in that way, in that, you know, if I were to think about, like, the kinds of books I like, you know, I, I kind of vacillate between, on the one hand, I, I like sort of philosophical novels or, you know, like, I really like um, the book, Grendel by John Gardner or, you know, Hermann Hesse, where you have these sort of Jungian ideas going on, or the Dutch writer Cies Nooteboom, who has these kind of like short allegorical novels um, that are in that European philosophical novel tradition. On the other hand, you know, I spend a lot of time... Uh, Just reading, you know, what are funny contemporary novels. um, Like I just finished reading this book, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win by Joe Piazza. And it's about, you know, it's basically in response to the whole Trump presidency. And it's basically about a woman running for Congress. And so it's very current and it's very, it's very funny. Or like a writer like uh, like Mark Lehner, you know, like his book The Ask is really funny. So I kind of have these two things where I'm interested in these kind of like light, funny uh, books that kind of draw you in and are quick to read. And then on the other hand, these more sort of, um, you know, thinking about issues related to myth, philosophy, all of that sort of stuff and I'm sort of trying to <laughs> mesh those in this case doing that through using metal to explore it. but yeah, it's true. I don't really um, in that sense I don't I don't think anyone would call my books bizarro <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, but and then on the other hand, I think that you know readers who are gonna go for like uh, Charlotte, Walsh likes to win or something like that they would probably be put off by the the metal content of it um so yeah I'm (laughs) I'm playing a losing game
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I think that's writing in general um but uh one of the things I found interesting while reading is is the the sort of impossible game of writing about a song that doesn't exist Oh, yeah, sure. And um I I found myself wishing that your books had come out like 20 years ago so that somebody could have gotten obsessed about it and then made those songs. Uh-huh. Like per the <laughs> recipe that you write out. Yeah, yeah. Do you have Well, a, a specific like song in in your head like given given the time and and materials, could you uh could you create in musical form the sort of things you were writing about?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, since then, like like I mentioned earlier, you know, some of the bands in uh, specifically the group Katabasis that the guy puts together um, with Juan is based sort of on a college band that I had. And then I also did some stuff that was more like dungeon. It's called dungeon synth now, but then it wasn't. It was just kind of like weird ambient tracks that appeared on black metal albums and were interesting. Uh, and, uh, you know, since then I, I've been, um, yeah, I mean, like I, I have a, I'll put the word group in quotes, but yeah. Uh, on band camp, it's called macrocosm uh, with, Two Ks macrocosm. And, uh, and so I've made some songs and, and I've actually been featured on two dungeon synth compilations within the past year. Uh, one through eldest gate records, which is like a really small sort of sub label, uh, out of, I want to say they're Bulgaria or something, but they have some they have some interesting stuff that they make, and then and then another one. There's just a series of dungeon synth compilations um, that that they that uh, came out last year and that have all of these different groups. But mainly, yeah. So it's basically you know like the music itself. I try to use lyrics that are from medieval or classical sources. Um, a lot of times, as far as the music itself, I'll try to base it, um, on, uh, maybe like plain song or, uh, old kind of like, uh, liturgical settings. Uh, and, um, and I guess as far as how the music goes, it, it would be sort of like how catabasis is described as this very drum minimal, um, synth and guitar sort of thing. Um, but yeah, part of the reason I wanted to start doing that is, is because, uh, well, I think writing about it kind of, you know, made me go back to that, um, to that point where, where I was making music, but also too, just because the third book, the sinister, sinister synthesizer, which I'm working on now kind of shows that basically what I want to show is like the splintering of all of these different metal genres that happen. Um, You know, I guess around like 1994 or so where, you know, I guess I'm kind of looking at between about 1991, 1994 within the three books. So it's like the first book shows where, where death metal is really popular. And then, uh, and then how that sort of falls apart and is replaced by, you know, by black metal being, you know, this this new thing. And then how all of those bands, uh, you know, eventually they start putting out these projects that kind of um, create these different subgenres. genres. And, uh, and so the third book kind of explores that a little bit. So into maybe kind of dark ambient or into more, uh, using folk music, uh, as a way of expressing metal, uh, even looking at the way that, um, you know, power metal kind of like Iron Maiden has a resurgence, even though, uh, for a few years that was seen as deeply uncool. Um, but anyway, yeah. So for that third book, then I I wanted to, you know, kind of explore more uh dungeon synth and so i figured the best way to do that was to just go back and start um making some of it and and trying to participate in that uh, community a little bit
0: for sure i I think i think the i find metal so fascinating because it feels so goal-driven to me um in terms of what is trying to be created. Um, mm-hmm. I remember in in high school when I was part of a a uh, air quotes metal core band uh-huh. there was like each of us had our our, our own sort of like destination uh, where we wanted to go. Our guitarists wanted to be as like noodly and virtuosic as possible and our, our bassist and I wanted to just get like grimier and grimier and grimier right um and and sort of the direction that the the subgenres go as either in pursuit of of whatever goal metal has or in reaction to it is is interesting to me especially when you get into like the sort of folk stuff or like epic metal and symphonic metal and and, and stuff like that it's it's very interesting it's, it's a very far cry from you know what it originally was
1: right well i think what's interesting about it too is just how genre oriented metal has been you know i think now at this point um someone who i think for for a while it was kind of like what are the genres and then so how well does a band match the platonic ideal of that genre and then you sort of have a period of how well can someone mix the genres and now i'd say you know it would almost be the the opposite how well can someone subvert a genre would be what makes it interesting or or you know hopefully at one point um creating something that has the sound of of something new really but I think that's kind of like um, you know I guess again to get back to the the literature standpoint uh, have you ever read Gerard Jeannette's the architect I have not so, so it's like a a big transition here but you know it's like a, a literary theorist talking about the rule of literary genre uh, and the idea uh, there you know he's talking about the proliferation of genres and the way that um, that each work attempts to either create or subsume itself to whatever genre it is, you know? And, and I guess what's interesting about metal is that to some extent, you know, I guess in contrast to um, a lot of other forms is that it's okay to to uh, sort of subsume your individuality to in pursuit of that goal, you know? Like, I think... Even and I guess if you think about writing, like even a genre writer, they're still gonna say they're not gonna be like I am just trying to create the perfect fantasy novel, right? Like I'm not trying to do something new. Uh, Generally, they're gonna say that they're trying to do something new or they're trying to individuate themselves from that genre. Um, But it seems like in metal, that goal of of kind of obliterating your individuality in order to create whatever is the perfect embodiment of that genre, like that's accepted. That's okay. That's, that's not just okay. That's what you should do. And and in that sense, I mean, I think that that's kind of like, uh, if you think about folk music, right. Uh, in again, I guess like the medieval sense, right. That's, that's what is also trying to be achieved a, a total, uh, anonymity and recreation of whatever that thing is without, without you putting your stamp on it. Um, I don't know. And I guess think, I think too, you know, it's kind of like uh, in a, In an American context, metal is still, like you're talking about hip hop earlier, like NPR, they're always showing hip hop stuff and it's no problem, it's not contentious and and all of this kind of thing. But metal is still this thing in American culture that it's like, oh, this is dangerous or this is bad or something like that. Uh, And I wonder if if that idea of of the individual is maybe part of it, you know, that... that, um, you know, in a lot of ways, hip hop is about celebrating uh, the American dream in whatever way, but it, but in ways that even as it's problem, problematizing America itself, yeah. it's still kind of celebrating the triumph of the individual or showing how the individual is not able to, uh, you know, achieve this dream. But it's still about the individual versus something greater. And, and, and um, I don't know, I, I, I guess I would feel that that in metal, it's not so much, I mean, I guess you do have, you know, extreme individuals, but in a lot of cases, and I, I guess, you know, if you just think about the thousands of bands out there, yeah. um, that, that that's not really the point.
0: For sure. I mean, I, I mean the fact that there are so many bands out there that could be a, a reason why it's so much more subgenre focused than a lot of other umbrellas of music because it's hard for me personally to keep straight like these 15 power metal bands and these 20 black metal bands and blah 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 blah, blah. like it's a lot easier for me to say i'm looking for a specific thing in the style of music we're listening to depressive black metal today and like <laughs> there we go i have yeah. i have like molded my ideal sound um preference and and picked that label up
1: Right. And, and well, it. and I would I would think a lot of that too is is, you know, exacerbated by how people listen to music today as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, if I'm uh sitting at home writing and I'm just listening to something on YouTube, uh then it just scrolls endlessly uh and and then it kind of it it does a okay job of elevating some of these less known bands. You know, I think they probably get more listens, really. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to write about in the books, too, because I feel that, that books about musicians or artists or whatever, it always tends to be the successful person. You know, like this mm-hmm. is the rags to riches story of this person and, and how they achieve this. And, and, and it, again, it's this idea of the hero and that, um, that, that the art brings the hero some kind of success. And you know, I think about like all the albums that I really like uh, in metal that that really, uh, you know, that that have been with me for a really long time. And they're not necessarily the big bands or the big albums. You know, a lot of time it's some obscure band that's released one or two things. Uh, and you know, I wonder about those guys. Like, like what are what are the what are the guys in, you know, unanimated doing today? What are the, the people in panthemonium? What happened to them? Uh, you know, or, or that sort of thing, like, um, these sort of bands that people probably don't care about at all. But to me, I think those stories are interesting because there's, there's, uh, they're more real. I mean, those are the lives that most, the kinds of lives that most people are living, um, so to me, that's interesting, and I guess more compelling than reading them. You know, than than writing a book about somebody who has some wild success and all of this sort of stuff.
0: I think so too. I I also think that's something you don't necessarily get in writing quite so much, just because writing is so much less demanding than than making music. Uh, yeah. Where I mean, we can't all be burrs and making you know wildly successful albums from our prison cell Uh, you know like
1: those albums suck yeah that's
0: true (laughs) uh and and i'm sure people bought them because he was making them but uh you know you have to tour generally as a band yeah or or you have to do the the one-man metal marketability thing where people are drawn to you because of your reclusiveness but i mean as a writer like you don't have to write a novel every year you can write a novel and disappear for 30 years and then write another novel and like that doesn't you know it doesn't matter quite so much
1: that's true writing is more metal than metal (laughs) (laughs) as i sit in my reclusive chamber penning my scrolls yeah Yeah, I think that's true. But, but even then, I I do think like if people are writing about music, it it tends to be, you know, um, let's focus on some sort of character who is, you know, big or important or something like that. Um, as opposed to, um, or, and I think too, like with, you know, with any sort of, uh, uh, narrative popular narrative about someone in pop culture there's still this way of wanting to show that the pop culture obsession has uh really enriched their life or or brought something to them in some way you know
0: yeah i'm 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 kind of laughing to myself now i'm thinking about how kind of ironic it is that your your story focuses on on a person who is entrenched in in a style of music that is so focused on these sort of like mythic things that isn't quite so mythic himself. Was that conscious or, is, or am yeah. I just picking that up?
1: Yeah, right. I mean, that, and that's the thing too, you know, so like the music is dealing with all of these kinds of issues, but the characters themselves and their lives are much more prosaic. Uh, and, uh, but I think that's interesting, you know, like, like, I I think that those kinds of prosaic day-to-day things, um, well, well, I, I mean, and I guess, you know, like in a broader sense, I mean, if you're talking about spirituality, right, like that's where the spiritual comes from is from those prosaic moments. Like if people, you know, it's not always from, you're not always on the top of the mountain, uh playing your (laughs) playing your solo uh to the to the nordic gods you know Mm -hmm. uh you're in the post office or you're uh cleaning the toilet uh and so i think it's kind of you know uh, for for me just as a person I, i like to kind of bring those bring those worlds together yeah and i guess too like so you know yeah as far as writing the characters you know david deliberately is a character who uh has a hard time uh, seeing those kinds of things or talking in those ways. And then Juan is the counterpoint who only uh, lives in those areas or um, talks in those ways. But as you go through the book, you, you know, through both books, you see that they both are actually having some of the same kinds of um, uh, problems. You know, as far as stem developing and trying to grow up and have successful relationships and all of that sort of thing,
0: yeah, we haven't talked about the coming of age part of of your books very much, but it's something I think I enjoyed. And I think someone who's not necessarily into metal will enjoy those parts of the books more. yeah uh, I, because there's there's such a, a a masculinity to to metal music and being around those types of people that. The, the vulnerability of growing up can't really happen uh in constructive ways. And then like even the people like Natasha and her her postcard in, in the second book is just something yeah. that like, oh my God, man. I was I read I read that and got physically angry, which is always nice when a book makes me actually upset. Uh. <laughs> because, <laughs> what in what way? Um the vagueness of, of everything that she she wrote where she's just like, hi, do you remember me? Yeah. Like, God, like, I, I've encountered people like that. And, yes. And his response is to respond to the postcard where, in, in my mind, the correct response is to say, I'm going to wait for them to send me something that is not so vague. Right. And just be like, oh, this person was thinking about me. That's great, but I, I'm I'm actually left with nothing here in this correspondence. You you've given me no direction, and and really, like I can see every every way I go about responding to this ending up poorly, and it's a gamble to respond to something written in that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think I mean that's what. I mean, especially for that age, that's what relationships are, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, be, because I think uh, both parties, uh, you know, wh- what do they want at that point? It's hard to tell. Different people are going to want different things. Uh, and, yeah, and, and, and so for, for the character of David, yeah, he's really haunted by um, this character, uh, Natasha, uh even though you know he pretty much precipitated the end of that relationship but Mm -hmm. he there's no resolution there uh and because there's not that resolution at that point it's still kind of affecting his attempts to create new relationships uh but yeah that's true i mean and, and i think. Um, you know, I think there's the other thing, like, uh, you know, like when I was talking earlier about some of these, uh, th- these novels that, that, um, you know, like more contemporary humorous novels that, that I like to read, you know, I, I basically, um, once a week, like uh, I take my kids to the library and then I pick out books for my wife. And so I have this sense of like, you know, the kind of like female protagonist oriented contemporary funny books that she likes to read. So I'm like picking them from the library for her. And in a couple cases, I've picked ones that then have become the um, she's in a reading group. Uh, and then that's like, they've picked that book. So, so I'm like good at like picking these, (laughs) these books that, uh, that that the reading, that the ladies reading club likes. Um, but what I think is interesting about it, I don't think that the ladies reading club would want to read my book, but my character, David, in a lot of ways, he's more torn up about, um, with guilt about, relationships and he's more fragile really than than you know than a lot of these other kind of contemporary books so i, I think that's the other thing even though like uh, it's this book about or, you know in the world of metal or whatever um these characters uh, the the point too is to show that that they are um fragile and incomplete um even though the iconography of metal is quite the opposite. And I think in many ways, that's probably the iconography of metal as the way it is, is a kind of shield.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting was that it didn't feel... Uh, the books didn't feel like they necessarily had a sort of agenda uh, in the same way that that your, your female-based uh, coming-of-age stories do. Um, and I, I want to... I want to explain what I mean in a way that accurately represents how I feel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I guess, I guess you, you you said it in your interview with Decibel, where you said, as a, as a guy, I find a hard time finding books about things I'm into, but with more depth than, like, Too Fast, Too Furious. Yes. Which is, which is something I find interesting because, and, and you touched on it too, I do find that a lot of coming-of-age stories starring uh, men or boys above the age of 17 tend to sort of have that power fantasy thing um and it, it felt like you were you were going against that but it also didn't feel like there was a super like mission statement behind it no <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's not how I write. Yeah, for sure. I, and and uh, yeah, I mean, and and that's interesting that you you know noticed that from that interview because because that is true. Like uh, you know, at the same time that I might go to the library and I'm I'm able to find tons of interesting uh, you know female centered books that, that that deal with these kinds of things. It's much harder to find the opposite. To find something that that I want to read that is that's funny and light, but not, but also deals with serious issues, but also doesn't kind of like bludgeon you over the head with them. Um, which I, you know, it's kind of hard to, to, to find that. Uh, and I I guess it's hard to find that in, in a, in a way with something that's contemporary. Um, you know, for me, I guess, because I'm a professor, uh, you know, I'm spending all this time dealing with, you know, reading older texts and all this sort of stuff and scholarship and everything like that. So when I'm reading for fun, I mean, it's almost kind of like the, <laughs> the other end of things. Like uh, I, 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 I want, you know, like I spent all day reading the Aeneid. So therefore at night, I want to read something that is, uh, you know, light, contemporary fun, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but at the same time, because I spent all day reading the Aeneid, I need something that has a similar kind of depth to it, you know, that as far as like, like Aeneas and Dido and how that, uh, him parting from her is, is also complex, even though he's this masculine character, there's, there's, I mean, and people have been <laughs> writing about that doomed relationship for a, a long time, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's true. Like as far as a coming of age story or, or as a writer, I don't really have an agenda. Um, like with these books, I'm interested in, you know, this question, you know, just I'm using metal as sort of my setting. Um, and, and I'm really character driven. I'm just more interested in like, who are these characters and what would they do rather than trying to, um, make the characters really stand for one particular thing you know i mean even a character like nordicron who seems sort of villainous and seems kind of like a composite of uh of character you know of of, of black metal musicians or whatever like i I still see him too as uh, that's that's a real person as well um who has these sort of drives that aren't necessarily just the drives of the music you know Uh, And so I want to animate characters in in that way rather than to steer the reader to some particular conclusion uh, about the characters.
0: Yeah, I I picked up on that um, and appreciated it because I, I do feel like there's a moment happening right now where there's a lot of people with a lot of really strong opinions that sort of will write their characters to to fit that
1: oh totally but you know and again as uh, a literary scholar i mean that's like socialist realism you know yeah. uh social realism where the whole point is you're gonna show that this character triumphs why because they have the correct ideology that's not the novel mm-hmm. i mean I, and I guess you know, like I, I, I guess I still believe in all of that, st- <laughs> that sort of stuff about the idea of the novel and what it represents, and and, and as a form of art, what it's supposed to do. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I've like, like I, I think that as a form, the novel is important, and and that it's important because it's not making moral pronouncements and because it's not straightforward. And I guess too, you know, like, like, I mean, like as someone writing literary fiction about metal, you know, in some ways I think that, that, you know, back to this idea of metal and it's medievalism or whatever. I think that metal in a lot of ways is kind of connected to some of those uh, classical themes as well. Uh, that I, I think they're important themes, and that they shouldn't be undermined. It's okay to have these, you know, uh, books that have an agenda and everything like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think that too, just the idea of like, what is a novel and what is it supposed to do? You know, it's supposed to ask questions, not give answers. Those kinds of things. I think those are always going to be uh, that. Th- that's always like a, a valid standpoint, even if though so, maybe it's not popular.
0: Yeah, I I find one of the things about books uh and it might be a character flaw on my part is is that it's the the discovering of what a book is about is yeah. is something that it's easy to get fatigued if you just keep running into the same thing over and over if you're looking for yeah. something slightly different where right. i mean we were talking about listening to to genre forms of of metal like it's really easy for me to pick out like exactly what i want but with books it's a lot harder because i have to read a book to, to yes. get it and that takes a significant amount of time and maybe it would be easier if i was the type of person who got a third of the way into a book and said eh, that's that's not for me and you know donated it or whatever but I, I find that's not something I'm able to do because it's such a money investment, too. Like, it's 25 bucks to buy a book. Yeah. That I'm going to read this book. I'm going to read the entire book. Uh, and then, you know, you just sort of, like, accidentally keep running into the same sort of thing. So it's it's always refreshing to run into something that's different, that, that feels the same. But, you know, the the essence is just slightly different.
1: Yeah, well, and... You know, like uh, in the first book, the characters working in this bookstore, the books a lot. Mm-hmm. And I guess as far as autobiography, like I, I spent a, a year after I graduated from college working in a Borders bookstore. And so that's sort of my hatred of the uh, corporate bookstore comes from no actually I mean especially these days it's better to better to have that than no bookstore at all Mm -hmm. but um but you know when I worked there I I remember because I was I would shelf the literature books and uh and so you know you spend hours and hours there and you kind of get a good sense of what is out there and what is not out there and and after that experience I just always thought like I wanted to write books that um that that, that that guy, like me when I was 21 or whatever, would have picked up there while he was toiling away at the books a lot and thought, oh, I want to read this. Like, this looks cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it is true that um, – I, well, I think too, you know, books well, – because we haven't talked as well just about like the medium of the book. Because what happens to that if you replace that with digital reading and that sort of thing, but that idea of the tactile relationship that you have with the book um, is maybe a little different than than you have with music or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, like the idea of an album, every, you know, every, once a year or so, you'll you'll run across a big opinion piece about like the albums dead. Oh we yeah, don't, we don't need those anymore. Yeah, and. And you're seeing that reflected in literature a little bit with, I mean, you go to literary magazines and, and what do they want? They want, you know, your fiction to be less than 2,000 words long a lot of the right. time. And so you you see that a little bit, but I mean, I don't know. There's, there's a permanence to the idea of the book that is going to be hard to kill, I think.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think that... You know, I guess it's promising, like, there there are reports showing that independent bookstores are doing well and that after sort of an increase in um, in digital book sales, that's tapered off. Uh, You know, on the other hand, I I think about that uh, with the experience of kids growing up today. You know, like, but if I look around you know, most of their peers, the parents are giving them the iPad all the time and that sort of thing. And just that kind of tactile. And I think, too, you know, like the schools themselves, they want to promote how much, you know, oh, we got laptops for every kid or we got iPads for every kid or something like that. Uh, and, And promoting this idea of of the screen Rather than realizing, like, hey, (laughs) people are inundated in screens, you know, uh, how can you move them away from that?
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh Yeah. It's a a weird balance that it's a it's an adolescence that we're in and we don't have that balance.
1: Well, and I always think about it too in a kind of national like uh, you know, and how different nations are dealing with that. You know, I, I think a good analog would be how uh, when cars were developing, how American cities totally restructured themselves away from public transportation, away from walkability, and the car is the panacea for all things, that that I you know that's not really, wasn't really questioned like in an urban sense until you know the the 90s and now the idea of walkability is is a as a positive thing and yet still so many cities it's it's hard to achieve that goal because you've got 50 60 years of of automobile centric planning and i think that we you know americans in general we tend to Whatever the new technology is, we want to restructure everything around it. And then it takes us a long time to realize what's been lost in the process. Um, You know, because I would think about, uh, like, if you read about um, book sales or, you know, the number of independent uh, bookstores in other countries and that sort of thing. uh, You know, it's not the same, necessarily the same kind of, of struggle or it's not happening quite as quickly.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's one last thing I wanted to touch on. I, I feel like I could go on a lot of tangents. I, like a, a month or two ago, went to and filmed a large um, meetup of people from a couple different cities and, and Grand Rapids. They all got together to talk about public transportation and whatnot. Oh, and so yeah. So that, that really, really touched close to me i mean one one of the the main keynote speaker got like way out there and was talking about like modular apartments Uh which is is the idea that basically it's a shipping container that you put all your things in and then apartment buildings are actually just frameworks and so when you move you just take your apartment out of the slot put it on a flatbed truck drive it to the next city and go back into another framework um and everything so I, i want to keep myself from doing that in the interest of time and (laughs) and uh one of the things i really wanted to touch on with you was the academic writing that you do because it seems like you have maybe even more academic writing than than prose or fiction um and what is what is going between the two like like what are the relationships uh of those two different types of writing with you
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, You know, as I said, I'm an English professor. My area is medieval literature. Um, I, you know, and I guess like the the creative writing actually comes out of, uh, I mean, I've always written, I, you know, I majored in English and I went to grad school and everything like that because at some point, uh, you know, I thought, oh, uh, well, then I will be a writer. Like, I, I like writing. And then as you go through grad school, you realize that that's not, that's not the game. You know, the game is research. Uh, and so, you know, I kind of moved away from writing stories, all of that sort of stuff. And two, doing focusing primarily on academic research, which is good, too. I mean, I really enjoy that as well. Um, but they're different games. But um, when I was... Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine actually who is sort of loosely based on uh, the character. Well, who one is loosely based on, and, you know, and his point of view was just like, well, that's not the real writing. Like you need to be doing the, the real writing, the, the mm-hmm. art. Cause he's also, he does uh, graphic novels and he's been working a really long time, like on this one single graphic novel project. And, um, and so, you know, that actually got me thinking of um, – th- that's kind of when I started writing uh, the first death metal epic book. You know, just as a way of, well, well, yeah, you know, here's something I know about and here's this idea of kind of telling a story about metal. And, and so that's kind of this uh, – I don't know, this, this other um, – this this way to get back into that, you know, the idea of art. Uh, and as far as research goes, yeah, I mean, like I have an, an scholarly book, uh, Through the Demon's Gate, that's all about Johannes Kepler, the astronomer, uh, and it looks at his work the somnium which many people have said is like the first work of science fiction and i look at how it's related or how it's indebted to um medieval dream narratives how it uses a lot of the conventions of medieval dream narratives but even when it's doing that you know the conventions of the medieval dream narrative only work within a, uh, a Ptolemaic system, you know, this idea that the earth is the center and that dreams are basically uh, messages sent from <laughs> the heavens to the individual. Like there are a lot of ways that these um, features of those stories, or you can map them on to these uh, kind of cosmological ideas that come out of Christian philosophy and how Kepler uses a lot of those motifs but, but by doing them kind of creates this new, you know, like a, a new way of thinking about the world that kind of destroys that world order. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, I, I like I, I've written on that. Um, I've written quite a bit, uh, you know, a few essays on ir- irrealism. So as a kind of like new surrealism and that's kind of actually how I got connected with, uh, with Adol Adol because I, uh, I saw that, um, one of their writers, uh, D Harlan Wilson had kind of referred to one of my essays, uh, in an intro he wrote for, for another book on, um, this, on the press raw dog screaming. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe these people will be interested in what I'm doing. Um. Uh, but yeah, I guess as far as the scholarship goes, you know, even within the scholarship, I kind of alternate, like I've been doing these essays that I talked about earlier that have been more, uh, about metal and medievalism. Uh, and then on the other hand, I, um, have essays that are more still in this, uh, realm of looking at, um, Uh, about uh, dream narratives, uh, and in the middle ages or looking even within that, like Chaucer house of fame and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I find that the two really overlap. Um, so that as I'm working on something for scholarship, I might encounter something that's really interesting that I want to incorporate into the creative writing. Uh, and I think too, just, it helps that, you kind of have to have different voices for each. So it's a good, it's a good outlet for being able to have these different kinds of writing where you can do different things. So so I I guess just as, as far as somebody who uh, always like having writing projects to work on, um, it's nice to, to be able to switch between these different voices. And I guess too, like because with the academic writing, I'm always working on some kind of project. Um, and so you have deadlines or goals and everything like that and so it's easier to kind of link that to some sort of creative goal like okay i'm working on this essay and that's good but while i'm doing that i also want to try to reach this sort of goal as far as the creative stuff goes to kind of keep them both going Is from the first death metal epic book. Uh, it's a chapter called Juan Bon Joker. I just to give a little bit of background. Um, this is the part where his first band Valhalla falls apart because all the other guys are in college. Uh, there's still a contract though that is sort of his uh, his golden ticket, as it were, to the European tour that he really wants. Uh, as far as characters go. Um, he interacts with Claire, who's an employee at the bookstore where he works. Uh, and then there's a manager who is Lisa, who's sort of a, a control freak. Uh, and when the chapter starts, he's just uh, gotten off the phone with, uh, with a character who is from the record label. You realize that Valhalla is still under contract, right? I press the phone to my ear and covered my head with my hand as I hunched over the Books-A-Lot help desk. All I could think about was the contract. I asked Claire for advice. She said I should call the label and try to get out of it. I didn't really want to get out of it, because then, what would I have? What would I think about during the endless hours of pulling each and every book to the exact edge of the shelf? How else would I stave off the pernicious sounds of Paul Simon's Graceland? which streamed from the store speakers on infinite repeat. But she had a point. You can't make an album and go on tour with a band that no longer exists, a dead metal band. Use your words, she'd said, flipping through a copy of Maximum Rock and Roll. And don't let Lisa see you. Uh, Lisa was the rule-obsessed manager. I tried. Yeah, I totally realize that, Sean. It's just that I'm basically the lone Viking left manning the Valhalla ship. David, we need an album, soon. Besides, a new one will help sell the old one. It's not like I can make an album by myself. He continued like he hadn't heard me. And you still have your touring obligation. We put out one record, and so we've got to get you guys going on a tour, and then a second record. At the very least, you need to tour this summer. Get your name out there. You don't even need the whole band for that. Otherwise, all of you are in violation of the contract. A legally binding contract. I thought of John romancing some poli-sci major by the soft-serve ice-cream machine in the university cafetorium, chatting her up after handing her a flyer for the next Smokey the Band jam fest, and me, every day, toiling away in this place, clock in, shelve books, man the register, my every action accompanied by the endless loop of Paul Simon's voice, one world-beat Mobius strip of sound. Graceland! Graceland! I tapped a paperclip against a desk, Uh, excuse me, can you help me find a book? A customer, and a jingling sound, like the help bell that only real idiots ever rang. It wasn't loud enough to be the bell, though. It sounded like some distant reindeer herd. Was it Santa Claus from the mall? I sighed. Why can't people just browse? Sean, I promise I'll talk to the guys. I've got to go. Remember, legally binding. I hung up. The jingling bells still reverberated across the help desk. How is that going to work? Who ever heard of a one-man metal band? Live and on tour. Can I help you, I hissed, my paperclip now a mangled mess. The stress was getting to me. I needed to cut down on coffee, free or not. A Renaissance Fair refugee stood in front of me. It wasn't Santa from the mall, but it could have been one of his elves. This guy wore a billowy, frilly smock of the kind last sported by Percy Shelley. He topped the smock with a brown leather vest fringed with tiny bells. He was dressed to board frigates. A taffeta headscarf cut from a flag or maybe a blood-red prom dress contained a shock of wild black hair. He'd cinched the scarf, Rambo style, right above his thick black eyebrows. A plaited ponytail hung halfway down his back. I'm looking for a book. He was more courteous, his voice more cultivated than the average Miamian. He sounded as suave as George Hamilton looks. It's called The White Goddess. It's by Robert Graves. Graves, Graves. I typed the name into the computer. I could feel his hard stare at my chest. I had on an old candle mask shirt, the one for ancient dreams. I got it when John and I first started playing music together. He and Phil had it on gatefold vinyl, put a couple songs on those early mixtapes. And I thought the cover, an Edenic garden scene, sky blue and gold, taken from some 19th century painting looked so classy in contrast to the therapy art used for so many other album covers. Something the parents would approve of, I thought at the time. Something to show them the piano and guitar lessons had been worth it. They'd almost canceled them when I sat at the dinner table in the first metal shirt I'd bought. A Slayer shirt with a throned goat presiding over a trio of bishops bobbing in boiled blood. I like your shirt. Thanks, I said absently, scanning the computer screen. Graves, here it is. Mythology, follow me. I stepped around the desk. His costume was comprehensive. He wore fringed, knee-high moccasins. As we walked across the store, he swished and jangled like a belled cat. He even had a brass bell hanging from one ear. He had a tiny acoustic guitar, ukulele-sized, but with a compact, nearly triangular body strapped to his back. I'd never seen a guitar quite like it. I wondered how it played. Are you into lore? The way he said it, I thought he meant a band. Lore. It sounded doomy, like candle mass, something forlorn and direful. He didn't let me answer. You seem like you might be. Not many people are these days. Lore, you know, the imaginary, the stories and images that never really die, but keep repeating, even here in this ridiculous city. That's a Thomas Cole painting on your shirt, The Course of Empire. He would have loved painting this place, shown it swallowed by the sea. If you're not from Miami, you'd be surprised how many locals hate the place and not just the ones like me indentured to its service economy. We stopped at the mythology section, a shoulder high half shelf topped with the plastic ivy and a Greek urn next to a squat stone gargoyle, the bestial offspring of a bowling ball and a garden gnome. I scanned the shelf, found the book and handed it to him. It wasn't hard to find. The spine was bright yellow with black writing like a traffic sign. "'I've been looking for this for a while. "'I thought I'd have to special order it.' "'He started flipping through the pages. "'What's it for?' "'He'd sparked my curiosity. "'The book was thick. "'It looked serious. "'Unlike most of the books people actually bought, "'it had no pictures, "'except for a sketch of some weird symbols, three ladies, a snake, a pentagram on the cover. "'I'm doing a bit of reading for a tattoo I'm getting. "'It's going to be of the aruberos here, around my heart.' "'The aruberos? "'I had no clue.' It sounded like the name of a sandwich and a deluxe extra pickles you've never heard of it no what is it a mythical creature no more importantly it is the mythical creature this creature at the center of every story a creature that lies at the center of the underworld and the heart of the imperial sphere a creature that does both simultaneously whilst roiling beneath the toiling waves of the ocean i stepped back Dude used the word whilst, another very un-Miamian move. It's the serpent that lives in the water, that marks the equator. Not dead, but dreaming. The tip of its tail and its fang-filled jaws. When it awakes, it will drown the city. Just then, Lisa stormed past. David, are you on break? No. This isn't the time for personal conversation, she said. He's a customer. If you finish helping the customer, we need you in the back room. A shipment of books just arrived. She hustled past, her hair helmet swinging like a clock pendulum on speed. I wanted to talk more to this guy. He told me his name was Juan. He said he'd be in the cafe reading. I wanted to ask him about that guitar.
0: Once again, Dean Swinford's books can be found on Autolotl Press. Links are in the show notes. Next month, we have Benjamin Hersey, author of The Autograph of Steve Industry. And as always, write more and write better.